every single chance, everything you've got, there is a chance to be creative. So there's a skill in making things happen. It's got nothing to do with creativity. And good ad agencies, you've got the creative department. Creativity, there is actually getting something done, and there is monetizing. Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather. And I'm Chris Meredith. And Chris and I are on a mission to lift the veil on creativity in business through the lens of ideas, stories, and visual cognition, also known as illustration. <laughs> and this week's guest, Nigel Marsh, is somebody that I personally have been looking forward to chatting to for some time. Like me, he's moved from the UK to Australia. Like me, he's worked in the world of marketing and advertising and is now his own uh, business person, running a, a professional coach, speaker and best-selling author. In fact, his latest book, uh, Smart Stupid 60, is my book of the year. Um, it's, it's a wonderful um, it's humorous, insightful about um, the human condition, I think you'd say. I'd recommend it to everybody. Make a great Christmas gift. Look, it was a fantastic conversation, and I, I'm like a broken record talking about how much we learn about creativity from our guests. But this one was counterintuitive. Nigel has a view that it's not about focusing on creativity to be creative. Uh, it's very, as I said, counterintuitive, challenging to Chris and I and our own philosophy. And it's towards the end of the podcast, so please tune in to have a listen. Let's get him in. Let's get him in. Nigel, a huge welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. Great to see you. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Great to have you here, Nigel. <laughs> Nigel, as I've just been saying, I'm super excited to have you on this show. It's a great privilege to have, have somebody with so much to talk about, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to have to kind of channel my own questions around the theme of creativity in the workplace. But before we get into that, it's worth just saying, I mean, you're a, you're a very successful author. You've been chief exec of ad, ad agencies. You've launched a number of initiatives like Earth Hour, uh, like the Sydney Skinny and so on. So it's hard to kind of know where to start, but I, I did read that for your first book, Fat Fired and Forty, that somebody wrote that you're basically Homer Simmer, Simpson meets Anthony Robbins. How do you feel that as a, feel about that as a as a way of describing you? Uh, horrified. <laughs> <laughs> That's atrocious. I mean, Anthony Robbins. You know, we are all God's children, but um, I am not uh, a a disciple of Anthony at all. And in fact, <laughs> in my second book, there's a chapter. That's entitled "Fuck Off, Anthony Robbins." But now <laughs> but, 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 I, mean, I mean, you know, he's he's far more successful than me, and I'm sure he's very wise. But um, gosh, uh, um, uh, if I think the people who write The Simpsons are geniuses, I think they're like a latter-day Shakespeare. So I'll take the first one. I mean, so one out of two. One out of two. <laughs> All right, fantastic, Nigel. And that goes to one of my my fears, which is. You know, everyone's trying the best with what they've got. And, uh, you know, I admire people that try and help other people. So that's lovely. But but the self-help genre is a disaster. It's full of unqualified people giving repetitious, platitudinous uh, advice um, for, for their own benefit for sales, not not to actually help people. And you do say in your, your, your latest book that your, your fear is that the, the latest book, which is called Smart, Stupid and 60, highly recommended to all our listeners, by the way, fantastic book. But the fear is that it appears in the self-help section of bookshops, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's one of the keys to its success. That you don't spell out you know, your five tips for a, a better life. You just say, this is what I've decided. This is my view on the subject. You take it or leave it, I guess, is what's in there. Yeah, and I think there's something where, where I mean, you guys look very young, but I I'm, I'm old and life teaches you how to, to live it. And if you're lucky enough to get to the age of 60, you realise that you don't really know much. You know, you, you're smarter than you were when you were 20, but, but you still make lots of mistakes and have regrets. Um, and I don't really think it's my place to give other people whose lives and hopes and dreams I don't know advice. What I can do, hopefully, is in, in my writing and podcasting, as opposed to my other ventures, is I can hopefully... Uh, be mildly entertaining and if someone then takes a message from me mildly entertainingly talking uh, about stories that have happened to me personally if there's a message in someone 
else that helps them from that story, then I am genuinely thrilled. So it's a, I'm right. a bit of a hypocrite. So I, I would be, I'd be really pleased if people find my books helpful, but I don't want to write self-help because I think, I, mean, I don't know if I can swear on your program, I think there's some self-entitled, unqualified wankers that do it and, and <laughs> I don't want to be in that if, if, if uh, I will come to a question that relates to creativity, surely, but I, I, when I read the latest book, especially, I find myself regretting each time I turn the page because it meant the page, there's less to read coming up. It's, it's, and, and I also felt that about 90% of, written, of it was written to me personally. It's an extraordinary <laughs> book. So, so thank you for writing it. It's been a... I mean, what you have just said, I mean, I... I People write me nice emails. I mean, I'm sure there are thousands of people who don't because they hated it. But the people who like it, some of them write to me, and and I, it makes me euphoric. I mean, I just feel so so happy when someone writes and says, you know, whether it's I'm talking about my mum dying or, or or kids leaving home or whatever it might be. You go, I'm I'm thrilled. It's, it's like a shortcut to intimacy. So you saying that makes me feel that I know you more than I know you. If that makes sense. And when well, we bump into it, wonderful. We can start 10, ten yards down. <laughs> well, let me. Like, well, I'm going to jump in with one particular part of the book that, that strikes to the heart of our mission on the common creative, understanding creativity. And it surprised me. And it's it's the point where you talk about the, uh, the, the hang on, you're right, the, um, the, the Brooklyn Sketchbook Project and, and the benefits of drawing and sketching. And it, struck, it stood out to me because. Um, it's not something you're known as. I'm, I don't, I'm guessing you wouldn't describe yourself as an artist. And, and you make some really poignant points. There's one particular thing you said is that it's kind of it's almost meditative, I think, to to sketch. And it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. But then you go on to say, learning to draw enhances your life. Um, I personally agree with that, um, as, I, as I do. As Paul, um. <laughs> Paul's much more of a, 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 I'm a photographer, Paul's much more of an artist in the, in the kind of sketching, painting. Kind of, but tell me how you got from filling in a sketchbook for this Brooklyn project to those quite profound thoughts about the benefits of sketching. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> my earlier comments should be borne in mind. So what I'm not saying is because I found this other people will, I'm not doing that. I'm answering your question in the spirit in which it was asked, which is, yep. how did it happen um, for me? Uh, so for me, um, who, who I, I, I wouldn't say I have a natural talent for it at all, and I, I never show anyone my drawings, apart from my poor, long-suffering children. Um, <laughs> but, but there are numerous benefits that I, I can imagine you could get from other things, but I just get this from drawing. So the first one is it teaches you, or teaches me, how to properly pay attention. So to really look and listen. So, so it, I could be sketching a saucepan or a coffee mug or, or a naked woman. It doesn't matter that you absolutely, uh, it teaches you to, to look and listen. Um, the second thing is it teaches you to override assumptions. If you aren't a drawer, which I'm not, you, you tend to draw like a child. You go, I know he's got two ears. I can't see his other ear, but I'll put it in because I know he's got two ears. And you go, you, you quickly learn not to do that. So in... These are usable lessons for other areas of your life. Don't make assumptions. Go past the assumptions. Um, third thing is it teaches you to find beauty slash opportunity in the dull and every day. So if, I, if I'm trying to sketch my office chair, I can try and sketch it a hundred times. And each time I'm, I'm really engaged and find it beautiful. Um, I mean, there, there's so many. Fourth thing is, is it, it teaches you how to... Decide how to frame things and which bits to concentrate on. So I'm thinking here about lessons that might be useful for business. So if yes, I'm looking at you. the room that I'm talking to you in, well, I can't do all of it. Which bits am I going to do? Which bits am I going to highlight? Well, that's the same with a business and a business problem. I mean, you yeah. can't boil the ocean. You know, we're all going to die <laughs> with a full to-do list. You go, so what, what can I actually do that will help my business? Um, I mean, I could go on for ages. I mean, it, 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 it teaches you how to be self-reliant and have agency. So when I'm trying to sketch the view out of my study window, n no one else is, is helping me. You know, I, I, I have to do it myself and it's, it's hard and I, I can't get the angle of the roofs right. And you go, well, well you're the only person who's going to solve it now. So I hope, I hope that's, that's a few, I mean, just off the top of my head, a few lessons, but all of which are applicable to business, I would suggest.
Nigel, that's that look fantastic insights, and you're you know you, you could be my pinup boy now because uh, <laughs> you know I um, I actually did a three minute on the main stage at TED on uh, doodling at TED. Um, so so I have two questions. One is, do you know the book Drawing on the Right Hand Side of the Brain by Betty Churcher? Uh, Betty Edwards, sorry. Changed my life. Yeah, yeah. In my year off, in my 14-5 year off, it changed my life. I drew her first exercise of that bloke sitting upside down. He's not sitting upside down, as in the picture was upside yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like him. I was whooping. It, I, I just couldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it, it is amazing, and it's a funny drawing because it's not a, you know, it's a bit of sort of abstracted, that, that drawing, that, you know, that sort of childlike Picasso drawing. But uh, I actually use that exercise in, in, the, in the master classes I do. So, look, uh, yes, and, um, uh, and she's from Long Beach, California, is where I did my three-minute talk. You did a TED Talk. Was that at Long Beach or...? No, so my TED Talk was, it was actually in Carriage Works, not the Opera House. So this is when oh, okay. TED was in there. And, and what happened, I mean, I say this with all humility. I mean, I, 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 I know a lovely bloke called Remo who asked me, and I said no. And, and, and then he asked me again, <laughs> I looked at Ted, and I called him and said, you really don't want me? Because this was like 10 years ago. It was all Bill Clinton and Ted Robinson. And like, what, what on earth are you? Anyway, so he talked me into doing it. And, and they were, you know, they were after slides and, and you know. And I, 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 go, well, I, I, I mean, A, I haven't got anything to say. B, I haven't got anything to help. Anyway, so I just, I only had 10 minutes. So, I, so I, I, I just talked. I mean, secretly, I was talking about myself. That's, that's why I think it resonated, because I... I, I it was my, you know, I'm talking about my life, living sort of in a job I hated, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. because it resonated, they put it on the global site. It was the first Long Beach or whatever it is that, yeah. that made the cut. So then I'm, yeah. I, I've been seen by 7 million people or something. Like wow. That. Every week. I mean, I'm, I've already had one this week from people in countries I've never been to. Wow. <laughs> Remo's... Um, Remo is an old mate of mine from TED, and he's been a, he's been a guest on our podcast, and I know he's been a guest on yours as well. So, I come Ali. The, the second question that I that I had, and it's just something that I'm really focused on at the moment: Are you a doodler? No, I'd love to be. Okay. <laughs> because especially what you said there about looking and listening. Um, yes. Uh, look, uh, there, there's some neuroscience behind it about stepping into the creative space and the different networks that are on play. And uh, Roger Beattie, who's a couple of episodes ago, um, talks about this. And I think that doodling is how to step into that space because it's that thing of of focusing and concentrating but not really listening but taking everything in. Um, so I, I, I put. So I was, I was really interested because all the things you're talking about there also can apply to to doodling um, when you're drawing but not consciously drawing, but but are still in that space. So, um, so one of the um, things I, I, I sort of go to art galleries a lot and I try and read about drawing a lot just because I'm fascinated. Is one of the things I do, which isn't doodling. Which I, 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 please send me something and I'll read it. But is I do that, those sketches where you you don't look at the paper. And yeah, you, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so it's, it's actually irrelevant crap when I do it on the page, but that does get you into a state. But, but, yeah. but I can't do that if I'm... So I can imagine I could be doodling when I'm talking to you, but I couldn't be doing that thing when I'm talking to you because I'm intently yeah. looking. So I, I should I yes. check out doodling, which I will. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, just, just on that, have you done the one where you draw each other? Is it when you draw the thing that... So yeah. the, the, an exercise that Chris and I both use... Uh, in our in our uh, exercise, which actually comes from a TED talk, and I can't remember the name of the lady, but you sit across the table from each other. Chris is doing it now. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you you draw each other. You can't look at the paper, and you can't take your pen off the paper. Uh, really? And it's it's a fantastic exercise. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Um, but the drawing that you're talking about is basically called con- contour drawing. So you're <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That, that, that were my two questions. So uh, that will, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to hear because I think that I, I I often give that book away, draw, a drawing on the right hand side of the brain, because I think that I have done the exercises and I can draw, and I've done the exercises with people that can't draw, and when we do her exercises, our drawings are pretty similar. <laughs> so. You know, so someone who can't draw it, you know, so, so it really is, it's really magical. Um, so um, anyway. One, and one of the things we, Paul and I have been pondering is 
how as a society we become so focused on the written word or the spoken word when the brain seems to be much better tuned to pictures and images and so on. And it's just weird that if you, so if you've caught doodling in class or in a business meeting, then you're, you're obviously, you know, distracted and you should be paying attention. And, and a hypothesis we're working on is that that actually is very helpful to express yourself visually and potentially to doodle to kind of access different parts of the creative brain. Anyway, that's a, that's a hypothesis we're working with. So it's interesting to find out about your doodling. Um, to change tack just a little bit, Nigel, um, one, one of the things, uh, and, and maybe the answer is in drawing, um, but <laughs> what is your secret or is, what is your thing uh, that allows you to make so many things happen? You know, we all have ideas, uh, but you seem to have this list of things that you've managed to get into the world that have been successful, as, as, uh, you know, as Chris said, you know, Earth Hour and uh, the Skinny and, and, and other initiatives. Is there, what, what's your approach? What, do you think there's one thing uh, or is, what, what is the thing that allows that to happen? Um, what, what a good question. So I'd add five of my life to the, um, if we're doing a list of things that I've created, I'd add oh, yeah, five yeah, of yeah, my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I didn't say that to, to, to boast, but it, 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 it is relevant to what I'm about to say. Um, <clears throat> is I have a very, uh, I think, unusual view of creativity. And I don't care if other people haven't got it, it works for me. Um, so, so I, I think there are three very separate things. There's creativity, there is actually getting something done, and there is monetizing things. And people constantly confuse the three. I run a management consultancy where the mantra that, that I wrote that I believe, which is clarity, alignment, momentum. And people always want to start at momentum, not at clarity. So if I come back to your question, you go, you are right. There are many people who've thought of an environmental initiative and not done it, thought of writing a book and not done it, thought of doing a podcast and not done it. And, and <laughs> who aren't I clever? I have. Right. Well, the, the reason I have isn't because I'm, cre I mean, I'm creative to an extent, but it isn't, the reason they've happened isn't because of my creativity. Now, I used to work in an advertising, with the best advertising agency in the world, with Abbott Mead Vickers in London. And I was the account man. I mean, forget the director, as in, my job was the, was the meat in the sandwich. I would talk to drug-addled creatives, um, having spoken to besuited clients, and be the person in the middle that made the things on your TV actually happen. So there's a skill in making things happen. It's got nothing to do with creativity. And good ad agencies, you've got the creative department, and this is in the olden days, you have the creative department who are creative, and then you hand over to someone who wouldn't, have a good idea in a, in a month of Sundays to say your job fuck dust is make it happen and I am <laughs> unbelievably good just between us three girls at <laughs> focusing on what needs to happen next That's needs to happen next if I'm going to get Earth Hour up what needs to happen we need PR how are we going to get PR we need Fairfax to put on the front page of Sydney Morning Herald for a hundred days in a row and count it down. How am I going to make that happen? What am I going to do to make it happen? Right? And and then I am like a a terrier. It's terrifying. This, this has got nothing to do with creativity. You go, I, it's all. It's, it's like those virtual signalling tossers on Instagram who crap on about the climate or something, and they drive SUVs and fly around the world. You go, just <laughs> take a cold bath, and you've come up with your lovely painting. Um, how, and, and, and I don't know, you want to get it in the Archibald. It's a separate task, completely separate. How does one make that happen? Now, just pretend you gave me that task. I don't know. I would go and find out. And then you go, the thing that has to happen is we need a meeting with the head of the gallery. Right, next thing, when is the meeting with the head of the gallery organised? Don't tell me how wonderful the painting is. Completely irrelevant. When is that next week? It's that. You just focus in, like, laser-like, on what needs to happen next. Now, the third thing is really important because people mistake the monetizing thing. You can paint a beautiful painting and you can make it happen and you can get it hung in the Louvre. Yeah, that does not mean that you can monetize it. And, where, and the, the secret answer to... <clears throat> The list of things, five of my life, the books, the Thoward, Sydney Skinny, whatever, um, is I'm very, very clear about why I'm doing it. 
and I am Which not is, in it to make money. Now, you're I, not I, in it to... No, and I had to, yeah. to whisper, because if Mrs. Marshall is me, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I am not in it to make money. So when I sit down, you go, I come up with an idea, I think the five, five of my life is a brilliant idea. It's a different way of getting, you know, it's different to other podcasts, blah, blah. So I, I'm happy with the idea, the creative part, you know, pat on the back, Mr. Marsh, right? Then how do I make it happen? Right, well, I, I go off and make it happen. I find out who does podcasts and I, 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 I remorselessly go through the list of things that need to happen and make it happen. But on that journey, I'm not saying, and it has to make money. And what right. so many people up is they confuse those three things. So don't get me wrong, and this is where, you know, in society now we are completely useless at nuance. If they make money, I'm thrilled and I'll keep it all. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally relaxed about that. If, if that 45 made me $10 million, I'll keep it all. and put it in my own bank account and, and give none to you. Right? But that's not why I'm doing it. Just like the lovely thing that you said about Smart, Stupid and 60, Chris, is that's why I'm doing it. Now, if a million people also think that and I can then pay off the mortgage, well, that's great. But that's not why I'm doing it. Now, what, if you are doing those types of things for money, 99.9% of them will fail in the getting it done process because people won't say, I'll pay you lots of money, Nigel. I say, we'll pay you a little cut of the sales. It, it's all retrospective. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be clear. And then we come into the commercial space, and I am—I'm ferocious about this. Is I advise my clients whether I'm coaching them. I do, I do a bit of coaching, and I've got a consultancy. Is the objective <clears throat> in the commercial space just for me is not to be creative. If anyone says, "How can we be more creative?" I, I roll my eyes and go, "Wrong question." It's to work out what is the outcome you want. What's the objective? Yeah, and, and so I, I think, is, is it, Paul, you were an architect or whatever, it's to make a beautiful building that people enjoy living and working in and walking past. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Says, How can I make it creative? I go, you're an idiot. Do the thing I've just said, which is make it nice to work in and beautiful to look at when you walk past. And then focus on doing your job well. That's it. Well. And better than other people and, and make it lovely. And it's, what you'll find is if you do that, it, it has to be creative because if you do it like everyone else, it won't be work. So you need to turn the telescope around. Can, yeah. can I tell you a, a brief story about a campaign that changed my life? And stop me. Hold the pen up if I can. No, no, sure. No, no. What a hit. Have you heard of the uh, Glaswegian artist David Mack? The guy who in no. 1983, he made a submarine, a life-size Polaris submarine um, out of car tyres on the South Main. Oh, yes, I remember the sculpture. Yeah, as a protest against <clears throat> nuclear arms, and someone stood on it and set themselves a knife and killed himself. So that was famous. But he's an artist who, who makes things out of things. So he'll make two horses out of 50,000 matches each, and then set one alight, and then blow it out, and then you've got one black horse, one white horse. So he makes things out of things. Clever bloke. Right. I'm in an ad agency. I'm a junior person. We have a trade campaign to do to the media. And this is the top tier magazine. The, the magazine that spawned the, uh, spawned the TV. Now, what a trade campaign is, is you advertise in Media Week and you have a graph and it says no one else brings you 50,000 ABC1 readers. Yes. That's what the campaign is. And Malcolm and Paul, who were the creative team I was working with, said, I'll tell you what, we had to do a trade campaign for Top Gear magazine, and it would just be easy. You give it to the junior person, what you do is you do a graph saying no one else brings you 50,000 you know, readers. Is we got David Mack to build a Rolls-Royce, a life-size Rolls-Royce, every detail correct, out of whatever it was, hundred and 13,000 Top Gear magazines. It was a work of art. And then underneath it, in very small type, we said, no one else brings you 50,000 ABC. And what that does, and, and if I was coaching people in creativity, I would use that example, is every single chance 
everything you've got, there is a chance to be creative. There is never a chance, there is never a case in life where you can't be creative. So I'm talking about a trade campaign. Now we've done it, everyone else then started being creative in their trade appetite, but before, it was just graphs. But also, the way that you say something is every bit as important, if not more important, than what you say. The message was the same, we've got 50,000 readers. Yeah, but I reckon that magazine's quite creative and high quality because they built a fucking Rolls Royce. <laughs> you know, wow, right? That, they've clearly got something about them rather than auto trader. I want to go with Top Gear. Yeah? yeah. But yeah. The, the brief wasn't, in my mind, wasn't, ooh, do a creative ad. Screw that. It was, how can I do the most effective ad that, yeah. that resonates the most, that gets the most attention, that has the best effect? Now, then the answer to those questions will always be, be bloody creative, you numbnut. Right. You start with be creative, then you end up in idiotic creative awards with useless work that's just attention grabbing bollocks. For not, and, and by the way, having worked in the UK in in advertising as a client side, I, I absolutely empathise. Trade advertising is the lowest form of advertising. You typically give that to the most junior person and, and produce exactly the kind of ads you were describing a graph growing up because no, nobody needs creativity. And so it's a wonderful story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder if I could ask you about one of the kind of assumptions that this podcast is built on. You're making me question it, which is that businesses squeeze creativity out of people. And, and that's why we want to explore what creativity is. And there's, a, there's an assumption that business needs more creativity nowadays because the world is turning much faster and we need to be, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying not to say agile and responsive and all that, but more creativity is needed. I wonder if what you're actually saying is there's plenty of creativity around. The issue is that it's misunderstood and mismanaged. We need to differentiate between being creative, between being effective and, being, and making things happen. Would that be right, that there isn't a lack of creativity, it's just mismanaged? Well, there's, there's lots of bits to that question. So I, I genuinely <laughs> believe we are all born, I mean, genuinely, we are all born creative. So, yeah. so children yeah. stamp in puddles, they pick up sticks yeah. and, and guns or horses. We're, we're, everyone else is creative. That doesn't mean everyone of us is talented. So Paul can draw and I can't, right? But So I think we're all talented, we're all creative. Um, I give speeches around the world and I ask people to hold their hands up who here thinks they're creative. And, and it depends pretty. In America, like 60% of people hold, put their hands up. In Australia, 10%. Right. But then when I say who here thinks that the organisation makes the most of their creativity, I get one or two hands wherever I am in the world. So answer to the question, is, is the creativity, uh, is it, does it exist and is it mismanaged? Yes, yes. But okay. <laughs> I would change one of the... the the facets of your question um, was <clears throat> about creative organisations. I think it's the wrong thing to be focused on. And I don't want you to stop your podcast. I love your podcast. But um, it, I, I think there's a different way of getting people to be creative. And this is quite confronting for people because they like, if I go clarity, alignment, momentum, they like talking about momentum and blah, blah. You go, no, 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 let's just be really, really, really clear. If I am BMW or I am Apple or I am an architect, what am I being asked to do? I'm being asked to build the best car ever that people love the best. Just focus on doing your bloody job. And I'll hold your feet to the fire. You go, well, this, this car looks exactly the same as a bloody Mercedes, you twat. Is it, you know, how, how is this better? Right? <laughs> be better. Be really, really good at what you do. Show me a better trade ad. Show me a better building. How come, you know, half the buildings in Sydney look so awful and some look fabulous? <laughs> Show me something. So focus on, be really clear, clarity, alignment, momentum on what your job is and do it extraordinarily well. Now, I then think if people are held to that, they would have to be creative. Yeah? So you, you yeah, look at them, yeah. I don't know what business you're in, you could be making chocolates, you could be doing, you could be a hairdresser, it doesn't matter. You go, so let's just be clear, what are you trying to do? Beat the competition, be really great. And you go, great, you're going to be resonating with the consumers, you're going to be noticed, you have the real list of things, what's the outcome that you need? And then you keep on showing me average shit. Right? And yeah. you're, just, you're just like every other barber on Oxford Street. You're not, you're not, you're not being creative. Wrong question. Wrong, wrong, but just go. And, and I'll tell you that, I'll tell you what, if 
um, my brief to Paul was I want the best building that Sydney siders love, that they adore looking at. It brightens up the skyline and people love working in it. And just pretend you could deliver that without any creativity. <laughs> yeah. Who gives a shit? You have done what I wanted you to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Actually, I... I that, um, I don't know, that I'm just sort of coming to mind, and it's, and it's interesting you're saying about, you know, doing better because, yeah, you know, if you're doing better, then it is by nature different, you know, than what's before. And that's I, that quote of Einstein about creativity is seeing the same thing everyone else saw but thinking what no one else has thought. Um, so it is about that, you know, like the, I suppose a change in perspective. Um, just back to your earlier point about how to get um, into the Archibald, I can help you with that. I've been a finalist, uh, Nigel, in 91. <laughs> so uh, we, can, we can come back to that after the show. Um, just with your talk about do, do you know the do lectures by any chance? Do? No. Yeah, the do lectures. They come out of Wales. No? You, uh, you no, froze no, no, it in I, there. D-O? Yeah, do. Yeah, do lectures. It, it's it's uh, David um, Hyatt is his name. Him and his wife, they started the Hewitt Gene Company in uh, Cardigan. Um, anyway, it, there's a whole story there, but it's very much focused. You know, it's not like the ideas, ideas that matter. The TED thing. It's it's all about all about doing, and they have doers. Um, right. I'm I'm due to go next July, uh, but I, I I think I have to put it. Hopefully, put it back a year. But um, yeah, no, it's really good. And actually, just another thought. Um, have you do you know the writing of you Enuma Okara E N U M A O K O R O? She writes for the Financial Times. Um, she has she has a fantastic grasp of of creativity, and she and she tells it through stories and and relating it to paintings. Um, and uh, she's fantastic. But she would um, we've we've actually asked her to be a guest. We haven't heard back from her yet. Um, but uh, maybe she. I'm loving being on this podcast because I'm learning. So I'm going to check all these things out, the doodling and the doodling. Can I tell you my, my, my favourite ad? Well, one of my yes. favourite ads that, that goes to a point. Uh, and this is, you know, I think, again, in many cases, creativity is the wrong thing to focus on because it leads people down precisely the wrong track. Um, back in London in the late 80s, uh, there was a wonderful Volkswagen polo ad. I can't claim any any involvement um, and it was just it was literally a poster a 48 sheet poster of a pack shot of the new Volkswagen Polo that was it right so you go ooh that's not very creative mm -hmm. my favourite ad and underneath in really small type it just said we never said the old one was perfect <laughs> and you go well, okay. Now, now, now the adults are in the room. So, yeah, to to achieve, to approve that, you know, oh, we're going to upset all the Volkswagen current owners. Uh, you go, yeah. Do you know what? They're going to love it. They won't mind. It's classy. It's like that Top Gear Rolls Royce thing. You go, everyone's going to get it, and the boring, boring CMO and CFO are going to like it because it's got a big bloody picture of their car. But everyone's happy, and it's brilliant. Now, that's you know, I, I think. In some ways, it's more difficult to be an astonishingly brilliant creative like David Abbott in the commercial sphere than it is just to be a, I say just to be a creative in the creative sphere. Because in the creative sphere, I would change all that I am saying. If I was lucky enough to have a patron, like in you know 13th century Italy, yes. go, no, yeah. I'm going to pay you to go to the beach and then draw for eight hours a day. My advice to myself would be just do whatever you want and draw. No one's got to buy it. No, you know, but that's not the commercial space. So you need to be clear, you know, that campaign is sell a shitload of Volkswagen Polos. And if you're yeah. really, really creative and you don't, then you're a moron. You're a baby. You're just being, a, you're an entitled, indulged idiot. Piss off to an art gallery and doodle, right? You're here to sell Volkswagen Polos. And it's a real skill to be able to do both. So let me pick you up on that, because a question that I'm, is in my mind, it goes back to the question Paul made about making things happen. In, in I've sat on the client side and been that black hat person. You see a great ad and you go, yeah, but it doesn't fit our strategy. And you know, you know what it's like. And there's battles between clients and agencies, killing great ideas in the interest of logic or you know, strategy, whatever it might be. Um, and also, in your know, more, more recent experience, we, we've asked you 
about, about how you can take a, a crazy sounding idea and make it happen. And, and you said you just do whatever it takes. The, what next? What next? What next? But ordinary mortals, if I can put it like that, will go, OK, so I need to call up someone at, at the um, um, Art Gallery in New South Wales, find out how the Archibalds work and find out when the meeting is. And I ring them up and, it, and they don't get back to me. And actually, my art's not that good anyway. And it was a crap idea. And I'll, I won't... How do you keep the momentum? How do you keep the belief? Because we all deal with setbacks, I'm sure you've dealt... Or I know you've dealt with setbacks. And, and somehow you manage to go, no, I'm keeping at this one. I'm not going to let it go. I, I, I am... Ferocious, but I'll tell you a story from um, <clears throat> my podcast, The Five of My Life. Have you, have you heard of um, Deborah Francis White? No, not no. Really. A podcast called The Guilty Feminist. It's been downloaded by 95 million people. It's, wow. Right, it, it, it's on the list. Genuinely, uh, it, 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 it rivals Joe Rogan. Um, it's a sensation. So do check out The, the Guilty Feminist. Um, and, and Deborah's the, the lady who, who is basically behind Fleabag. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge is her best friend. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, had her on the show. <clears throat> and she said something I thought was amazingly uh, instructive. Where what people normally tell you is if you want to be creative, is you have to bear in mind the, the, the very real possibility that you might fail. No? Well, can you say that again? Listen, Nigel. The... Fail. You might, you right, might fall yeah. back no, and you know, you need to bear in mind that. So don't be, don't enter the creative industry or try something unless you're comfortable with the fact that you might fail. And that's okay. No, that, that, that's sort of decent advice. And she's going, no, 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 it's not. The real advice is, you will fail. You change the word "might" to "will." Don't be a stand-up comedian or filmmaker or architect or podcaster or whatever it's creative. Unless, if you, if you want to do it well and you want to do it creatively, you are completely comfortable with the fact that you will fail. And that sorts the, can I say, what, what's the up-to-date version of Men from the Boys? The, the, the sheep from the goats? You have to be prepared. There is no guarantee. If it was that easy, you go, oh, I want to be on Oprah Winfrey to sell my book, I'll call her up. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I've failed billions of times, right? You go, you, but it doesn't stop me. So it's not, I might fail. So you've got to work out your motivation, because if your motivation is to get into the Archibald to make yourself lots of money to pay school fees, you're an idiot because you won't. <laughs> yeah? If your motivation is to get in there because you think you, you've got a gift for the world and blah, 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 well, then try harder. They, would, they wouldn't take yeah. a meeting. Well, stand outside. Do you really want it? Or are you just pretending you want it? Or do you want it if it's easy? Right? So you go, y you will fail. You will fail. I, I mean, I don't know how many episodes you've done, but probably one of them is a bit boring, right? <laughs> mean, not, not until now, no, but... Um... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> With exceptions to the rule, this is the success story. You're talking to me right now. <laughs> um, but, Nigel, this, this, this is your, your podcast, so uh, I won't tell you my story about the Archibald, but I can tell you off, <laughs> offline. But, yeah, but that, but that is really... You know, that is really poignant about it, about, you know, like, you've got to be in it to win it. And, you know, and, um, uh, you know, yeah, so I, I think, you know, you, yeah, you've got to try. And that failure thing, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, it's a great answer. So thanks for sharing um, that with us. Nigel, we, we, we're running out of time. I wonder if I could squeeze in one last question and change tack very slightly, which is about your own personal journey but that there's some very important transitions in that journey from the uk to australia from corporate life to a much more independent i was going to say creative life but maybe actually creative doing it and monetizing life um, um and i'm sure lots of people have toyed with this idea of i'm stuck here and i i need to make a change but they never what's given you the confidence to make those changes and what advice have you got for other people thinking about those changes Ooh. Wow. Um, <laughs> Read the book. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> no, I mean, gosh, what, 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 a, what a profound question. It, it, I mean, I, I give two-hour speeches on just that question. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, gosh, I think the first thing to say is time management and technology is not the answer. So what I see some people do, especially with some of the idiots who give advice, is they, they talk about doing things quicker, 
you know, more, faster. You know, if you're not happy with your life, you know, learn how to use emails better or apps. There's no shortcut to the proper reflection. And people want there to be, but there isn't. I don't, I don't mean going to India for six months on an ashram, but sit down and think about the type of person you want to be and the type of life you want to live and the type of legacy you want to leave. Just do that in the bath for 10 minutes. Don't tell anyone, just, just you think about it. And then think about when you're drying yourself off, the type of person that you actually are and the life you're actually leading and the legacy you're actually going to leave. And then sit with that. And bear in mind that everyone has a different answer. I, I think if Martin Sorrell wants to work 23-hour days, that's genuinely great. If Rupert Murdoch wants to set up another, that's genuinely fine. As long as it's a conscious choice, it's decide, don't slide. But listen to the little voice inside you. And what happens is most people don't until one of the big four happens, death, disease, divorce, redundancy. So we all know those we get some awful health diagnosis or some tragedy happens in the family or whatever, and they change their life on a dime. So I, I wasn't clever enough to do it without one of the big four happening. I lost my job. Now, I, I was clever enough to then respond well. But if I hadn't lost my job, which retrospective was the best thing that ever happened to me, I would be talking to you now. I haven't had a drink for 20 years. I'd be four stone heavier and I'd be you know, bragging about my advertising agency's got the McDonald's account. Nothing wrong with that. That's what you want. Right? Is what people want when they hire me, and there's some hilarious speaking occasions I can tell you about, is me to talk about being more efficient and, and, and go, go, go ever faster. And I'm just saying, lads, just, just pause and think about, it's about conscious choice. Decide, don't slide. Now, nothing in life is easy. You're not entitled to anything. But you can sit down and go, especially at our age, you go, why am I doing this? I mean, really? Why am I doing this? And, and so for me, at 40, I, it, it, and again, it's, it, it's actually very relevant, Chris, to, to the other questions about creativity. You go, I wasn't doing it for attention or to get money. I was doing it because I meant it. I want the thing I love to be at the centre of my life. I want to live a tour. And I, I, I don't, you know, sit and watch daytime telly. I'm, I'm busy and I do things. But I turn my back on a comfortable, um, you know, conventional professional career. And the mm. people who are on those careers, that's perfectly fine. Not fine, that's wonderful if that's what they want. But some of the people who write to me, the 30,000 emails I've had, say, you know, I'm a successful partner in a law firm and I drive to work in tears. Yeah, I'm on my second wife. I don't know the names of any of my children's friends. And what the hell is this all about? And you go, it's difficult to, you go, well, I don't know, mate. I mean, I'll have a bath. <laughs> get a bath. Yeah, get a bath. Ditch the shower, sit in the Brilliant answer. And thank you for summarizing, you know, your, your speeches around the world on that. I, I have a theory that that question, that self-questioning has accelerated since COVID because so many people have been sitting at home in their spare bedrooms or their kitchen tables thinking, what am I doing? You know, why? So I, I, in a way, I think that could be a very good thing if, if everyone's asking but themselves. Can I questions. add one thing on that? So I think you're right. Sure. And I put the COVID into the disease thing. It, it, the death, disease, divorce, redundancy, but I, I agree. Is then when you do do that reflection is not to listen to morons that are going to make you ruin your life. I give a big... Uh, half hour section about how it's the small things realistically and cumulatively put into your life so some people can you know resign and be a shepherd and that's great and go and do whatever but for most people you've got responsibilities and whatever else and you go just start moving towards the life that you want so it could be something as simple as turn your phone off at 10 o'clock at night do one school one a month you know just really small things like don't there, there are there are you know, so many people in this space talking rubbish that have a damaging effect. So when I give speeches, I don't want everyone to walk out the room and resign. I've just done a speech to Procter & Gamble in Latin America, and uh, all, all of Latin America, and they've got brilliant work-life balance policies. But the problem isn't the policies, it's that people don't use them. We create our own accounts the wheels. Yes, <laughs> yes. Don't, don't dare use them. There is, yes. no, there is no shortcut and take back to the drawing, taking personal responsibility. So I haven't had a drink for 20 years, but they still sell drink in pubs and in yeah. Dan Murphy's. 
Yeah, <laughs> if the government didn't get together and help Nigel stop drinking, I decide. So, for people want their life, I think what some people want is some idiotic tips and tricks from Ariana fucking Huffington about how you get up and you drink green smoothie and you do yoga, and it's destroying people's lives because they're working ever harder. You know, just think about your life and where you could pull a few levers here and there. Apologies for swearing. I'm sure oh. it's lovely. But you know, I, when I see these self-appointed experts giving bad advice to vulnerable people, it really hacks me off. Because it's, it's oh. a very important question you asked, and I, and I need two hours to answer it, not, not, not too much. I, I've got this theory about that phrase, work-life balance, because I, I think it's, it's self-defeating, that, that the idea that when you're at work, you're not living, and therefore you have to balance the two, is itself flawed and it's we should just be about homework balance or whatever it is but but have you it, been to one of my speeches because because you are this is exactly how i start i hate the uh, phrase it suggests that it's about bal- balancing equal parts of life it's rubbish i'm here but when i do a speech to talk about how you might be able to find a better way of constructing a life that you find meaningful nothing to do with uh, the, I, I, have, I haven't been to one <laughs> maybe i don't need to follow <laughs> I'd love to go to one, actually. It's not about equal time in the, on the golf course and in the office. It's not saying that work is bad and life is good. It's the stupidest phrase, yeah. ever, but it's what Ted put in my bloody speech, so that's what I get hired to do. When I stand up and say, I hate the speech, and then hate, hate, the, hate the phrase, but I know what people are, are, are worrying away at, which is, my life's a bit shit. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and therefore it's work's I, fault. Yeah, yeah. I say life work rather than work life with no balance. Yeah, because that's really what it is. It's our life work, whatever that might be. So um, works great. I mean, I mean, it, 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 so how can I say it is one of the things that and you have to be careful who you say, because not everyone. I, th- I think more people have more options than they may realize. But if you, yes. for me, I focus on what's in front of me, the very next thing. So it could be talking to you guys and not worry about the outcome. Just go, I want to have the best authentic conversation, listen to your questions, try to answer them, blah, blah, blah. And then when this ends, I'll go off and do something else and try and do that yeah. as well as I can. And if you choose things that you don't find moronically hateful, you can construct quite a nice life. So if you're in a job where you go, every single thing that I'm being asked to do, I find pointless. Every single person above me, where I might go if I succeed, has a life that I don't want. It is acceptable to say, Perhaps I shouldn't be in this career. Yeah, whereas I, I get up and look at my diary and go, "I'm talking to you, folks," and you go, "Great, well, that's really good." It, you know, you're not paying me, your cheapskates, but great. <laughs> oh, didn't we mention that? <laughs> uh, no, well, you're talking. Well, but, you know, both Chris and I have transitioned out. I'm, I'm, I'm a recovering architect now, as I like to say. Uh, so uh, you are, you are talking our language, but it's quite amazing. Uh, we are sort of having a little focus on founder seekers people that you know do start in one thing and end in something totally different um but i've got a great friend who's this brilliant woodworker and he was a merchant banker um and his his first foray was this workshop that he did where he had a week to to make a mitosaur, saw uh including cutting all the little teeth out and you know, milling it down and adding the brass strips on the top and, you know, and so, and that was his first foray and he's now a brilliant woodworker and he, and he teaches other people, so. I love the, the power of paradox, which is why the book's called Smart Stupid. It's not called Smart Smart or Stupid Stupid, it's Smart Stupid and Stupid. And one of the things, as I get older, I realise I'm less oppositional and it's a really important message to people who are thinking of, as you say, you're a recovering architect and you're a recovering advertising person, is not to be negative about that past. That story you told about the banker who became a woodcutter was brilliant. But he is the man that he is and the artist he is partly because of his years doing the conventional corporate hamster wheel. I met my wife in the corporate life. I met lots of friends. I made some money. You know, it's all wonderful. It's about an ongoing, evolving journey. This is not, my message isn't working in corporate professional you know, careers is, is awful. It's fabulous. It's not, life goes in stages. Some people train to be an architect and they're happy as an architect until they're 90. Other people do it for as long as you did it and then do something else. And that's great. It, it, it doesn't mean that the past... I, I'm really... I'm really proud and enjoyed my advertising career 
but I reckon if I was still working in it, I wouldn't. I, I look yeah. back on my first 20 years in advertising, and go, that was fantastic. I met all these people, did all these things, learned all the lessons, the stories I've been telling you. And I'm also really glad that I stopped doing it when Fat Fighting Fire happened. Anyway, so I just want to say it's not, it's not an anti-work-hard corporation you know, message at all. It's a think about your life and take control of what you want that's right at your particular life stage. And at your life yeah. stage, Paul, you probably don't want to be working for the man designing toilets, you know, for some global multinational. You'd want to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I'm hearing from you also is this idea of celebrate, learn from what you've done, celebrate the good bits of what you've done. Yeah. Don't deny it. Don't pretend it's not there. That, I guess, is mm. what I'm hearing. So I, I hate to be the party pooper um, <laughs> to pull the lever to draw this to a close because, uh, unfortunately, our time's up and we could keep on talking for, for all morning, Nigel, if you had the time. But, uh, Nigel, thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah, Nigel, thank you so much. Nigel, not a self-help consultant. That's how I've now rebranded you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. An absolute pleasure, guys. I hope your listeners enjoy the episode. Chris, what a fantastic conversation. I could have talked with Nigel and, and yourself, of course, for hours. <laughs> what an amazing guest. Such a rich array of stories to tell. Uh, I was so pleased you got, came onto the show and, and that fulfilled all my expectations. So uh, I'm on the way to the airport to meet you in Melbourne, Chris, and I'm going to pick a copy of his book, Smart, Stupid and 60. Um, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal book. I, I, I love reading every single page of it. Um, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's published by Penguin. Um, and it's interesting, he, he said it's not a self-help book, and yet it's full of rich stories about his personal experiences. Um, he said, I hope it's mildly entertaining. I would call it a rip-roaring read. It's both funny and insightful. Recommend it to everyone. Well, that's fantastic, because I'm happy for it to be mildly entertaining, but if it's a rip-roaring read, I'm, uh, I'm sold. So, look, we'll put all the links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And uh, if you enjoyed it, please give us a rating, uh, five-star, if you really enjoyed it. Uh, leave us a review and tell your friends it helps us a lot and it will help uh, Nigel as well so uh, thank you for tuning in and please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Common Creative we'll see you next week thanks for joining us